everybody be cool. You be cool. First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Is this a dream? Unfortunately, no one told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I hope not. The word they'd be wrong. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to the BBFC podcast. I'm Lucy and today I'm joined by one of the BBFC senior examiners, Craig Lapper. And we're here to discuss a film I'm really excited to talk about and which I think is a film many people associate with us in some ways. And that is The Exorcist, the US horror film from 1973. This film was requested by two of our listeners, Robert and Ian, though I'm sure that many more of you will find it really interesting because certainly I find it's a film that's very evocative and many people ask me questions about it when I go and speak to students, but also just when they find out what I do for a living. For those of you who don't know the film that well, though, The Exorcist is a horror film. It was directed by William Friedkin and adapted from the novel of the same name, which was a bestseller in its time, by William Peter Blatty. The film deals with the demonic possession of a 12-year-old girl and her mother's attempt to win back her child through an exorcism conducted by two priests. The film also has a sort of social history where it's associated by many people with ideas of people screaming and fainting in cinemas. And I think even by the time it got to the BBFC in January 1974, it already had a bit of a reputation behind it. So I wondered, Craig, if you could tell us a bit about how it was originally classified when it arrived here. Yeah, well, surprisingly, perhaps given the reputation it's developed over the years, uh, when it was first seen, it was seen by two examiners together with the board secretary, Stephen Murphy, and was simply passed out at the X classification um, without cuts. And X at the time meant the same broadly as the modern 18 certificate, so suitable for people of 18 and over. Um, But it wasn't regarded internally as particularly contentious or difficult, so there weren't multiple viewings, it wasn't referred to the presidents, it was just past X. Of course, there was a bit of baggage attached to the film. There had been reports in America of... Uh, people fainting, and there'd also been rumours around the film, a lot of which, it has to be said, were deliberately encouraged by the the film company and the producers of the film, suggesting there was a curse attached to the film and that uh, people associated with the production had died or suffered injuries and illnesses. And a lot of this, frankly, was just hype. Yeah. Um, even William Friedkin himself suggested that the levitation in the film was real. Yeah. Um, and so it did create this kind of aura around the film and 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 that was added to by these rumors of people fainting in america although when when it came to the british release there were similarly reports of people fainting and ambulance crews outside cinemas when we actually looked into this although it's true some people found the film disturbing perhaps um, people who were inclined to believe in the reality of demonic possession other people were simply fainting at some of the medical procedures especially that um scene showing the arterial shunt which actually makes me feel a bit queasy when I see it. Although to me, let's be clear, it is still quite scary I mean it's certainly a film where if I go and speak to university students they will still cite it as something that's that's, that's frightening. Yeah, I mean it's, it's undoubtedly a powerfully made film and and that that's reflected in the fact that it was nominated for several Oscars when it came out and won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay so it is a, it's a fairly thoughtful, well-made, high-end horror film. And certainly when it first came out, um, I think it had the impact it did uh, because unlike um, a lot of the horror films that had gone before it, like the Hammer films, it was set in 
a recognizable yeah, yeah. real contemporary world it was about a child being threatened in a recognizable domestic yeah. environment it wasn't like a hammer film and and i think that's why it resonated and and, and, and felt fairly powerful and perhaps still does yeah. there's um something else interesting about i mean i love looking to these old files and um i wondered if you could tell us a bit about the exorcist's uh, journey when it when it was released because is it true some councils refused to allow it to be shown in their areas despite its ex uncut from the bbs yeah that's right um local councils have always had the final say on whether a film can be shown in their area and they do retain the right to overrule the bbfc in the early 70s when uh, more controversial films had come out for a variety of reasons uh, mainly to do with changes in the rating system in America that had provoked a lot of local councils to review BBFC decisions and we all know about uh, The Devils, Draw Dogs, yeah. Clockwork Orange the usual films where, where local councils had um, taken a second look at what, what the board was doing and so The Exorcist given its reputation a number of local councils did ask to look at the film before allowing it to be shown in their areas. A few councils refused to allow it to be shown, notably uh, Bradford, uh, Worthing, Torbay, um, and, and a couple of others. Um, but the majority of councils who, who decided to review the board's decision, having seen it and having listened to the board's explanation, uh, decided to allow it to play. So I think it's probably true to say that although some councils banned it, the majority did allow it. Okay, and there's something else interesting I always think when a film has uh, uh, has come back to us, mm. and I'm sure we'll talk later about The Exorcists, how it was treated on video, but it came back in as a cinematic film in the 1970s, didn't yeah. it? Later in the 70s. Yeah, that's right. Um, was this under Furman? It was by actually, that stage, or um, still under yeah, but, but by this time, James Furman had taken over from Stephen Murphy. 1978 saw the introduction of a new piece of legislation, the Protection of Children Act, um, which made it illegal to distribute indecent images of children. Obviously, because The Exorcist features a young actress appearing to perform acts and say things that are. Um, uh, you know, pretty off colour um, because of the demonic possession. The board thought it would be wise, as we were doing with many other films at the time, to have a second look to see whether the Protection of Children Act uh, necessitated any cuts to the film. So in 1978, the board took another, well, asked to take another look at the film. We actually looked at it in, in 1979, and it was concluded that there was nothing in the film that breached uh, the Protection of Children Act. In terms of visual indecency, a lot of the effects were created by clever editing, by the use of body doubles. When you actually look at some of the film's more notorious moments, you see it's not the young Linda Blair who's in shot, so there was no problem under the act there. And although there is some crude dialogue involving Linda Blair, the Protection of Children Act only covers images rather than dialogue, so there was no problem under the act. Although I suppose those sorts of things, and I often find this when speaking to people, is uh, they they contribute to the film's strength, even if yeah. they weren't illegal. So that yes. it, what makes it so scary and impactful, perhaps, to lots of people, is that yeah. the performer's quite young still. Yeah. So let's move into the 1980s, and, and perhaps one of the most interesting things about The Exorcist, and certainly the area where I'm most asked about it. What happened with it on the video? Did it get a release? Did it get banned? What's the truth? Yeah. Contrary to popular opinion, it was never it was never formally banned. Um, it was actually one of the first titles to be released by Warners back in 1980, in fact. 
and it was on the shelves for a good eight years before it disappeared. 1984, the Video Recordings Act was brought in partly in response to the so-called video nasties, which The Exorcist was not one of the video nasties because it was such a big, well-known Hollywood film. Nobody felt that it was a work that needed any legal action taken against it. But nonetheless, by 1984, the Video Recordings Act said that the board had to classify films for video release uh, which hadn't been the case up until then. As part of that, the board had to not only classify everything going forward, but had to classify the backlog of titles already on the shelves, of which there were um, tens of thousands. They couldn't do that all at once, No, exactly. You know. It couldn't all be done overnight. So it was agreed there'd be a staggered system oh, where the, whereby the board would gradually work its way through the titles that were already on the shelves. And the ones that would be left to the last minute were the ones that had already been classified for cinema release and had been released in cinemas because those were felt to be less contentious than than video nasties. So The Exorcist, the board had to have a look at it and had to decide on how to classify it for video release by 1988. So we had a sort of four-year period after the Video Recordings Act came in to decide what to do with it. It was seen several times by pretty much all the board's examiners. I think it's fair to say a majority of people felt it should be passed 18 uncut, as had happened with the cinema release. However, there was a a minority view, and our director James Furman was part of that minority view, that, that were concerned really that because the film had this aura of notoriety, it, it, it would tend to attract younger people coupled with the fact that the protagonist is a 12-year-old girl, that this might make younger children more interested in The Exorcist than they might be in other adult-level films. And it was felt that especially with the Video Recordings Act being new and video classification being a new thing, um, that there was a risk that parents wouldn't take it as seriously as might be hoped, at least initially, and that it was therefore... Uh, a, a risk that the film might particularly appeal to children and they might seek it out and be able to see it more easily on video. So the minority view was that there was too great a risk that young children would be attracted to the film and seek it out and that therefore it was not something that we were comfortable classifying for release into the home. So ultimately the uh, deadline came round in 1988 and the board decided to just put the film on ice Basically. Not give it a certificate. We, we, we didn't reject it, um, but we didn't give it a certificate. And although there was some suggestion, including from the company, that perhaps it could be cut for video release, uh, there was also a reluctance, again, partly because it was already such a well-known film and, and such a well-made film that there was a reluctance to start cutting it at that late stage. So um, it, just, it just vanished into limbo. And uh, in 1988, the cassettes which had already been on the shelves for eight years, all had to be uh, taken off the shelves. So all the Exorcist VHS videos are removed mm. from the shelves mm. and no one can buy it anywhere. Mm-hmm. But then by, by 1990, it gets a new 18 at the cinema? How yeah, that's that right. Yeah. I, think, I think the view was that um, the film had already been out there at the cinema for many years. It continued to play in cinemas, but it only had an old out-of-date X certificate now and uh, it was necessary to replace it with a modern certificate for it to continue to play in cinemas and I think the view of the company was if they couldn't sell it on video anymore uh, they could perhaps make some capital out of that by 
by continuing to run it in cinemas. And of course, the board wasn't particularly concerned about that because at the cinema, it's far harder for persons under 18 to get in to see it. So it was a it was a kind of compromise while the board was stalling on issuing a video certificate that we could nonetheless allow adults to go and see it at the cinema. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly like so my experience with The Exorcist is remembering it as mm. late night screenings mm. when I was a teenager and yeah. when I went to university, sort of, yeah. sort of went through the 90s, really, that yeah, kind yeah. of sort of exorcist yeah. on, the, yeah. on Halloween yeah, and was, all the rest of it. was quite it. popular, Halloween screenings, also yeah. midnight screenings. While it was unavailable on video, I think you could see it pretty much every Friday night at at least one cinema in the West End would always be showing The Exorcist. So, so in a way, our reluctance to classify it for video, a bit like with Reservoir Dogs, gave it an extra lease of life uh, theatrically for many years. But let's, so let's get a bit more up to date though. So when did it finally get the 18? I think the company, although they tried a number of times during the 80s and the early 90s, asking several times is it is now the time to consider the exorcist how do you feel about it now they they always got a no from james Furman. once it was announced in 1998 that james Furman was going to be retiring from the board and there was also a change of personnel in terms of our president and vice presidents the company decided that change in personnel might offer an opportunity for a fresh view to be taken also at the time the new dvd format was coming out so they were conscious that they were about to start going back through their back catalogues and releasing everything again so everything came together at the same moment the 25th anniversary of the film 25th anniversary of the film new format coming out change of personnel at the BBFC and when when there was the change of personnel at the BBFC that there, there, there was a change of emphasis early on towards the freedom of adults to choose their own entertainment something that was uh, a key theme in the consultations we were running with the public at that time it has to be said that our new director Robin Duval in 1999 had previously been working in television regulation he'd worked at the ITC and during the 1990s Sky Television had wanted to show The Exorcist and Robin had said that he didn't really have any problem with that and it was only when James intervened and explained why he was reluctant to give a video certificate and that it would be odd for it to show on television if you couldn't buy it on video, that um, that it was decided it would be best perhaps if Sky didn't transmit it. But it was interesting that our new director was already someone who'd who, who'd looked at the film and taken let's let's say a, a different view to to the BBFC. So the film was looked at again, again given its convoluted background and history. It was seen by everybody at the board, 17 examiners. And whereas during the 1980s and 1990s, a minority of examiners had sympathised with James and felt that, you know, perhaps, perhaps there was a risk with passing it on video. When it was seen again in 98, 99, all 17 examiners were in favour of passing it and the new director was in favour of passing it. A view was also taken that it was a much older film now. Yeah. And whereas considering The Exorcist back in 1984, it was only 10 years old, by the time we were getting round to the year 2000, effectively, it was a much older film. And we'd seen through the recent cinema re-release, it again enjoyed a cinema re-release in 1998, that people weren't reacting in the same horrified way they had. It's still a powerful film, but the effects are less convincing and it does feel more dated than it did 10 years after the release. There are other cultural precedents for people, other films about this sort of theme, which perhaps have 
special effects which just happen to and come along also, later yeah, and that sort and it of becomes thing. so widely known even and even parodied the, as well yeah, even the most notorious scenes you'd had uh, Leslie Nielsen's um, comedy spoof repossessed you'd had French and Saunders, Saunders doing yeah. The Exorcist it really was so so well known and it wasn't felt that there was quite the same risk that contemporary 12 year olds would be as attracted to it as perhaps had been the case in the past and so the last thing I'd like to ask is just because I always think this is quite interesting when you see it on packaging and I, I know other people do too so what's the difference between the original version of The Exorcist and the longer version you've never seen cut yeah uh, normally nowadays you get uh, you know extended cuts of films or director's cut and, and we're quite used to that the, the, the interesting thing with The Exorcist is that the original version is the director's cut it is exactly as William Friedkin wanted it the problem was that when the film was originally made, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the novel and also wrote the script for the film, had wanted certain sequences included in the film, which William Friedkin had decided that he wanted to take out just for pacing reasons, because he, he felt it made the film punchier. But William Peter Blatty had often said he regretted that certain sequences had been deleted. Um, so again, with, with the new DVD format, new lease of life for the film, and some campaigning by Mark Kermode, who's a, a big fan of the, of the film, it was decided to offer an alternative version of the film that would reinstate those sequences that William Peter Blatty regretted taking out. But are they stronger or more no, scary? No, they're not stronger. It just adds more... Uh, more Different more, aspects of the yeah, story and yeah, the characters yeah, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Craig, that has been a fantastically interesting journey. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Okay. Um, and don't forget, you can tell us what you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast using the feedback form on the podcast page on our website, www.bbfc.co.uk by emailing us on podcast at bbfc.co.uk or by tweeting us at bbfc.